This is Reverend Charles Fenson. I'm the interim pastor at Presbyterian Church of the Covenant in Costa Mesa, California. This is the morning worship service. Our address is 2850 Fairview Road, Costa Mesa, California, 92626. Our website is pccov.org, and our Facebook page is pccov. And our email is info at pccov.org. We welcome you to this service. Our vision statement is that the Presbyterian Church of the Covenant is a Christ-centered community set free by grace and placed in our neighborhoods to serve and to invite all people into a wondrous relationship with God. God bless you as you worship with us.
morning, people of God. Good morning, friends in Christ. Welcome to worship. Welcome to the Presbyterian Church of the Covenant here in Costa Mesa. And my name is Charles Svensson. I'm the interim pastor, but not for long. Oh. Oh. Where is our PNC, our pastor nominating committee, this morning? Did, did, they, did they sleep in? It's raining. They just bedside Baptist. What's the deal? They're out and about. Out and about. And tomorrow night, be on your knees in prayer because they want to make some decisions. So prayers, blessing on our pastor nominating committee. Welcome to all of our visitors here this morning. Are there people who could be introduced as visitors, people new to us. Bob Rasmussen is back from Omaha, Nebraska. Ed, do you have guests sitting next to you? Hello, Robin and Patrick, and you were married in this church. Welcome back. Welcome back. Did Pastor Tim marry you? Bruce Curley, with the deep voice. Well, gang. So, in your bulletins, you see we are in need of greeters. See Dorothy, raise your hand, Dorothy. It's so easy. Linda was a greeter this morning, so thank you, Linda, for doing that. And volunteer opportunities to monitor the parking lot for our upcoming tournaments. Uh, Jeff Elson, I don't see him here today, but you may call Elsie in the church office. Um, Operation Christmas Child, what are we collecting this month? Toys. Bring your toys in, please. Uh, Nominating committee meets in my office following worship today, and worship committee meets at noon in the fireside room today. And where's Unetta? Strawberry shortcake after worship next week. Not this week? Next week. Okay. All right. We will put that down. Is that Joan next to you? Hi, Joan. Good to see you. Good to see you. Other announcements for the good of the day? Actually, uh, it's not in your bulletin. Uh, Flyers will be coming out, but on June 15th, we're doing our youth ping pong tournament. Youth ping pong tournament. Any, um, any kids in the community or neighbors or grandkids or your kids, middle school and high school students, any level of skill, and uh, it's $10, get you entry and lunch, bring all the kids, family, it's, uh, it's going to be a really fun event. I know how flyers in your bulletin's coming up just a few Sundays left. Got it. That's Rob Scroggins, Director of Student Ministries. Thank you. And... Um, Saturday, June 15th. Got it, got it. And Dick Clark is back with us today. Dick, yes, raise your hand from Fairview Commons. Uh, please stand up and say hello to your neighbor and tell them how good looking they are. Okay, could we take our seats? and get ready for worship.
and we'll invite the choir to call us into worship. call to worship. Please stand. Be joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before God's presence with a song. Enter God's gates with thanksgiving. Go into the holy courts with praise. Give thanks and call upon the name of the Lord. For God is the Lord, whose mercy is everlasting, and his faithfulness endures from age to age. Mighty God, by your power you created us, and by your goodness you call us to be your people. Accept the offering of our worship that every race and nation may enter your courts, praising you in song through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O oh God, from the minds of your faithful people into a single will, make us love what you command and desire what you promise, that amid all the changes of this world, our hearts may be fixed where true joy is found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. And now let us join in song as we sing all people that on earth do dwell.
seated. And that hymn was taken from which psalm? Old 100th. The 100th psalm. Come forward, boys and girls, students, young at heart. I want to teach you a Greek word. And the Greek word for today is oikumene. Can you say that? Oikumene. It means the whole inhabited earth. And it's where we get our word ecumenical. Whole inhabited earth. Do you have a family? What do you have, brothers? Lots of brothers. Too many brothers. Mom, dad. Cousins. Grandmother. Do you have families? Do you think of these people out here as your family of faith? Do you think of people around the world who love Jesus as part of your family of faith too? Do you? Do you? So where is Cameroon? Ooh. Where is Cameroon? Africa? I think Africa. Can you find it? Where is Cameroon? Ooh, it's kind of sideways there, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Is it right here? So, I went to Cameroon a few years ago, and uh, I preached at a service for the 50-year reunion of the church in Cameroon, and I said, how long should I preach? And they said, an hour. (laughs) Or two. So here's a picture of me. It was a hot day. And a man is holding what? Uh, An umbrella. An umbrella. And here is the tug of peace. See the rope, the tug of peace? So do you think we have sisters and brothers around the world in our family of faith? And do you think we're united with them? One church all around the world? Let's come back home. What about our neighbor in school that goes to this church or another church? Do you think we're united with them, too? Are they brothers and sisters? Do you say something special to them in school because you know they go to another church? Do you ever say, hello? Kind of? A little bit? There are people all around the world. There are people in our schools, in our homes, where we live, who also love Jesus. And we are united 
oikomene, the whole inhabited earth. Let's fold our hands and bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for each boy and girl, each student, each young at heart person who joins hands with people around the world today as we celebrate the unity of Christ's body. Keep us in your care this week and help us to uh, befriend people who love you and maybe people who have no faith. May we love them too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here we go. Off to your activities and different things. Where's your mom today? Where's your mom? We're not talking about that. While living in Tanzania, I had the privilege of having wonderful Muslim friends. So their need for salvation still tugs at my heart. Now this month is a special month for Muslims and it's called Ramadan. Muslims all over the world practice Ramadan and this year it started May 5th and ends June 4th. And during Ramadan, among other things, Muslim fa Muslims fast from sunup to sundown, and fasting is intended to teach them discipline, and it's a focused time of drawing closer to Allah. And because of this focused time of reaching out to Allah, it's a wonderful time for us as Christians to be praying for them, praying that they would find the true God and Savior Jesus Christ. God loves Muslims. He loves them, just as he loves us. And he wants Muslims to be saved. And so we pray. So let's take a look at this video and allow God to touch your hearts. My name is Haluk. I used to be a Muslim. I used to fast and pray during the month of Ramadan. Today, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me for Muslims as they fast during the month of Ramadan, that they would encounter Jesus and become followers of him. Father, our hearts are burdened for the lost throughout this world. As we approach the month of Ramadan, we especially pray for Muslims that live all around the globe. We pray that as Muslims seek God and His blessings through fasting and prayer during the month of Ramadan, which is considered to be one of the five pillars of Islam, that you would reveal yourself to them in a personal way through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts, showing them the glorious truth about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that your mercy and grace will be extended to them so that the eyes of their understanding will be opened, acknowledging your presence and truth in their hearts and minds. Father, we understand that the word Islam means submission, 
We also understand that Ramadan is considered to be a holy time for each Muslim, a time of worship in which they acknowledge their need for Allah as they submit to Him, acknowledge the blessings that they receive each and every day, acknowledge that they need to subdue their earthly passions and desires seeking spiritual blessings and acknowledge that they need to share their material blessings with others, especially those that are less fortunate. Father, we also know that Muslims observe this time of soul-searching and submission as a necessity in which they seek Allah's approval, making sure their good deeds outweigh their bad ones. So, gracious Father, we pray humbly that you would reveal to them that we cannot please God through good deeds because our good deeds are not good enough and we all fall short of the glory of God. In the light of this truth, we pray that each and every Muslim will seek the face of one and true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. May this truth penetrate the hearts and minds of each Muslim today. We ask all these things in the powerful and glorious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.
remember that our Lord Jesus can sympathize with us in our weaknesses, since in every respect he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet let us then with boldness approach the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Join me. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. Amen. Hear the good news. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And now I would like you to stand and we are going to recite the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the lick and the dead. I believe in the Holy, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
his love for everyone. He has filled our hearts with wonder.
for leading us in worship this morning. Thank you. Our scripture this morning is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 17. I'd like you to take your pew Bibles and turn with me to this portion of scripture. John 17 at verse 20. In some of our versions, it's found on page 1161. In other versions, it's found on another page. (laughs) But here it is before us. Let us listen for God's Word to us. Jesus prayed 
I ask not only on behalf of these disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me, though through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, in them and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So make us hungry this morning for the bread of life. We pray through the bread of heaven, even Jesus our Lord. Amen. When I was in seminary long ago and far away, one of the lighter reads in our school library was a book called Handbook of Denominations in the United States, written by a prodigious historian, Frank Mead. So we used to get a break from our mind-stretching books, which produced mind-numbing papers. We would pick up Mead's handbook and once again be amazed by the proliferation of American Christian denominations. My personal favorite was the two-seed-in-the-spirit predestinarian Baptists. Baptists first appeared in North America in the early 18th century with the Great Awakening in the 1730s and 1740s. And with the merger of the regular and separate Baptists, the Baptist Church became a large and important ecclesiastical body in the early 19th century. But by the 1820s, the Baptists were immersed, get it, immersed in a bitter missions controversy. It swirled around Elder Daniel Parker, who developed and published a notion that all persons are either born with good seed in their souls, and therefore were going to heaven, or you were born with bad seeds in your souls, and you weren't going to heaven. This was predestination gone to seed, so to speak. So the argument was that mission or any kind of evangelism to Daniel Parker and the two seed in the spirit predestinarian Baptist, that was unbiblical. 
and as a practical matter, useless. Since you had either one seed or the other, the decision was already made. Needless to say, Parker didn't have many followers. But those he did have organized a denomination called the Pilgrim Predestinarian Regular Baptist Church in 1833 in Illinois and moved to Texas, then a part of Mexico. But by the time 2016 opened up, there were only four churches left in that denomination, two in Texas, one in Indiana, and one in Tennessee. And on the 28th and latest edition of Mead's Handbook, the two-seed in the Spirit Predestinarian Baptist Church disappears. And I'm surprised it even lasted 185 years. We seminarians chuckled about that until we read about our own denomination, the Presbyterians. There are the Associate Reformed Presbyterians, there are the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church in North America, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, the Korean Presbyterian Church in America, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Presbyterian Reformed Church of North America, and now the Evangelical Covenant Order, ECO. Reminds us of the guy who was shipwrecked on the desert island and they picked him up 15 years later and there were two Presbyterian churches and his rescuer said, what's the church on the right over there? And he goes, that's the one I don't go to. <laughs> so we were amused in seminary, but I wonder if God finds humor in the fragmentation of Christ's body on earth today. Our text in John 17, if we could go back to that, 20 to 26, is the last third of the great high priestly prayer of Jesus, uttered by our Lord on Monday, Thursday evening, the night he was betrayed. Most of Jesus' farewell words of instruction and encouragement are given to us by John's Gospel. But in chapter 17, the writer uniquely presents this prayer of Jesus. The Reformers, especially those at Westminster Abbey in the mid-17th century, writing the Westminster Confession of Faith, speak of our Lord's role as prophet, one who reveals, as king, one who reigns in the church, in the world, and as priest, one who brings us back to God as intercessor. So this prayer in John 17 is the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's in three parts. Jesus prays first of all for himself. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. That's in the first five verses of John 17. Jesus then prays for the disciples to have the Father not take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one, guard them, sanctify them as righteous, O God. The disciples must have been dumbfounded hearing Jesus pray to the Father for, first of all, Him, and then for them in verses 6 to 19. 
And then the third section of this high priestly prayer, our text for today, John 20 to 26, Jesus prays for the church. That verse 22, do we see it? So that they all may be what? One. So how do we unpack this prayer of Jesus that the church may be one, especially in a day when ecumenical, that word ecumenical is a transliteration, as we learned, of the whole inhabited world. And when Jesus in Matthew 24 said, all this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed, proclaimed throughout the world, uses that word oikomene, the whole inhabited world, and we link that text with Ephesians 4 where the writer has an ecumenical spirit saying, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, that there may be one body and one spirit. How may we discern this ecumenical prayer of John 17 when ecumenical prayers and efforts are not a current priority in the church? For a number of reasons, ecumenical mission and ministry has actually faded in recent years because the mainline church in the last 40 to 50 years have become the sideline church. We've had so many internal struggles. What does our Lord's prayer of unity look like for us today? Well, in my view, this prayer could not be more timely and more up-to-date and more relevant. And in good Presbyterian and uh, Gallic war fashion, this latter portion of the high priestly prayer of Jesus may be divided in three parts. First of all, note that they may all be one. Oh, look in your bulletins. These three points are there on your sermon notes in the back. Bless you. Christian unity is, first of all, humanly generational. In other words, Christian unity for which Jesus prays transcends generations. Jesus prays not only on behalf of these, his disciples, eavesdropping on his prayer, not a prayer just for them, but Jesus prays on behalf of all who would believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, verse 21. That's every generation of believers and followers since that upper room prayer 2,000 years ago. So the prayer for unity reaches beyond these 11 disciples, going back to the first parents who believe, down in history to all who would someday respond to the message of God's grace and become new disciples, and that generation would be us. We who sit in pews and who preach in pulpits, who carry the gospel in word and deed to our homes, our work, our schools, who live among friends and enemies alike, Jesus prays for our unity and for the unity of generations before and beyond our day. You see, this prayer is really an affirmation of our confession in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the communion of the saints. This high priestly prayer of Jesus is a reminder, a healthy reminder, that the church is far larger than one generation. 
It's important to remember that when we get overoccupied and paralyzed by the present seemingly indifference with ecumenical opportunities today, Jesus prays for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. Christian unity is humanly generational and indeed transgenerational that they all may be what? One. Secondly, Jesus prays for a unity that is divinely relational. See that? In other words, our unity and mutuality reflects, mirrors the unity and mutuality of the Father and the Son. Verse 21. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us. That's John's Christology all along. There is unity, a unity in function between the Father and the Son. Jesus said one day to a questioning crowd back in John 10, then when it comes to holding on to the sheep, the disciples, all who follow Jesus, Jesus says, my sheep hear and follow my voice. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand, for I and the Father are, remember, one. Which means that God and Jesus are united in function. And what is one of their functions? It's to hold on to the sheep, to you and to me, as hearers and followers of Jesus' voice. And so tight is God's grip on you and on me, all who love God, that no one can snatch them from the Father's and the Son's hand. So the church, the people of Christ, we mirror that divine relationship. Well, how does that mirroring play out? Especially in the Presbyterian family where there are, what, 11 different American Presbyterian denominations? Well, two terms are favorites for John in this chapter and elsewhere. The first term is glory. The second term is love. Glory and love helps us bring this theology that the Father's purpose and the Son's purpose are in sync. And that truth will make a difference in the ecumenical church. When John or the writer uses glory, think God's power and presence. The glory, praise Jesus, the glory that you have given me, I have given them that they may be one. The powerful presence of God that the Father gave to Jesus Jesus now bestows upon the church. In other words, just as Jesus is a revealer of God's power and presence, so now the church is God's presence and power revealing God's glory in the world. So together, I believe, we uniquely represent God's presence and power and glory in the world as we are united. Glory is exaltation for John. But that power is not a cause for pride or status. That glory comes at its focal point at the cross. So the church and the entire believing world is united in Christ's crucifixion and resurrection and return to the Father. That's the first word, glory. Second word is love. Love helps us reflect 
the functional unity of the Father and Son. You have loved them, praise Jesus, verse 23, even as you have loved me. You have loved me before the foundation of the world, verse 24, so the love with which you have loved me may be in them, verse 26. As the church, Lutherans, Mennonites, United Church of Christ, Baptists, Catholics, East and West, as we love one another, Jesus describes that love as self-sacrificing as He washed His disciples' feet back in John 13, including disciple, remember, Judas. Someone wrote in a personal review of my preaching years ago, not here, that uh, my sermons aren't very theological. So I'm making up for that today (laughs) in lost time. Christian unity is humanly generational. Christian unity is divinely relational. Finally, from this great high priestly prayer of Jesus, Christian unity has a cosmic testimony to it. Unity, you see, serves as witness to the watching world. When I served the First Presbyterian Church of Portland, the five downtown churches got together on Wednesday evenings in Lent, not just to enjoy suppers and to experience each other's rich worship tradition. We did that. But we got together to display our Christian unity in Portland to witness to the cosmic world that God has sent the Son. Praise Jesus that they all may be one so that the world may know that you have sent me. That's why we give unified witness to our faith, not because we are happier. Christian unity takes a lot of work, but praise Jesus that the world may know that you have sent me. So what does our Christian unity look like in Costa Mesa? Well, maybe trellis working with our homeless in our community. Those who came out yesterday for Love Costa Mesa, celebrating our Christian unity. Maybe our Presbyterian Habitat for Humanity celebrates that unity. It's a rich and powerful prayer. And it's the gospel. It's good news for you and me today. I'll close with this. So I had a practical theology professor in seminary. He was one of my dad's classmates in college. And when Dr. Clowney and Dad were at my same seminary in the 40s, Dad and this professor, Dr. Clowney, had a professor named John Murray. John Murray was a Scot. He had a glass eye that he lost in the Great War. And students tried to guess which eye was the glass eye. And they quipped, look for the eye with a sparkle of kindness and generosity, and that would be the glass eye. (laughs) One day, Dr. Clowney went to Professor Murray with a personal problem, and Murray offered to pray for him, so Murray started in this Glaswegian brogue, whispering, and the volume cranked up and cranked up, and Murray smoked a pipe, and the smoke went up, and the prayer went up, 
And Murray finished his prayer with a big Amen. And Clowney left Murray's office, walked across that lovely Philadelphia campus to his own digs, and he marveled that John Murray should pray for him. But his evening devotional, Ed Clowney's evening devotional, was this John 17 text. And he realized that a far greater, more powerful intercessor, more effective intercessor prayed for him. And that was the Son who prayed on behalf of those who would believe. So we are believers, some of us long-time believers, some of us brand new, some faithful, some faltering. Jesus prays for you and me, and that's good news for us in the days and weeks ahead. So may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing to God through Christ, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Gracious God, we pray that we might give witness to the unity of this body of Christ and to all parts of the body of Christ in this community, uh, in this city, and in this world, that we may show people that we are Christians by our love. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. be seated. We have Fronte and Teicher here with us this morning, so let us now wait upon you for our morning tithes and offerings. We will ask our ushers to please come forward.
You may be seated. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, Jesus said, there I am with them. What was true 2,000 years ago is still true today. Shall we pray? Holy and merciful God, we come before you this rain-filled morning. Some of us happy and satisfied with where our lives are, others fearful, some hurting. Meet each of us exactly where we are this morning as we gather to worship you. We pray for a world that needs a fresh touch from you, Lord. As we pray for the world, we claim that you, Jesus, are the light of the world. We pray for the light of your gospel to reach the very ends of this earth. We lift our prayers of peace against the rising tensions in the Persian Gulf. Give our world leaders your discernment for a peaceful outcome. We pray for your protection over our military and civilians in Iraq, Iran, and all over the Middle East. We lift up our neighborhoods and our community to you. We pray for the city of Costa Mesa, its leaders, and each one who lives and works here. Thank you for the tireless hours of hundreds of Love Costa Mesa volunteers yesterday that worked on so many projects all over our city. May our city welcome visitors and newcomers and glorify you. Lord, you are our way, our truth, and our life. We pray for our church, for Pastor Charles, for Pastor Sharon, for the pastor nominating committee who is prayerfully discerning and evaluating the final candidates, and for our pastor that you are readying to call here soon. Guide each of us to deepen our appreciation for your truth and renew us in our discipleship walk with you, Jesus. Jesus, you are our blessing and our joy. We thank you for all of the blessings we have in this life, for those who love us, for occupations that fulfill us, and for leisure that restores us. Make us faithful stewards of all that you have entrusted to us. Lord, you are our hope and our strength. Be close to all who feel alone or rejected, who are unemployed or underemployed, who are facing health crises or experiencing family issues, and give courage to all who feel like they are without hope. Jesus, you are our good shepherd who gave your life for your flock. We pray for those among us who are in need feeling sorrow, or experiencing illness. Specifically, we continue to pray for Johnny Ernest, Joan Clamp, Charlotte Kalenda, and Peter's wife, Angela. Bind up the injured, heal the sick, and inspire those whose faith is broken. We pause for a moment to lift up those close to our hearts who are in need of prayer.
Lord, hear our prayers and have mercy on us. Thank you that you know each one of us by name and hear every spoken and silent prayer in our hearts. May our prayers and our lives glorify you. And we continue praying in the way you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us continue in our worship. Please rise. of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit rest and remain with each one this day, this night, in the season of Eastertide and forevermore. Amen.
This is Pastor Charles Fenson again, and we invite you at any point to come and worship with us here at Presbyterian Church of the Covenant in Costa Mesa. We trust that God has been honored by this worship service and that you have been blessed. God be with you.